Welcome back, you guys, to the Cerebral Palsy and Fitness Podcast. I have Glenn Livingston, and today we're going to talk about um, our health and fitness. Um, he's also a, a health coach. He's going to give us a lot of expertise on what we can do to kind of uh, cover aspects like overeating. Um, we are going to cover uh, chocolate, which is very, for me, it's a, it's a weakness, and I'm definitely excited for that. And just to kind of um to kind of learn about him and and what he has to offer to myself and the audience so welcome glenn thank you it's a delight to be here i am looking forward to it take care so, of your audience we're looking forward to this all week so all to kind of, definitely for sure um so to kind of start off this conversation uh what's your what is your background how did you kind of get involved in the i guess the fitness industry Oh, well, I, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, um, and I'm an overeater by personal <laughs> by personal personal history. Um, you know, I when I was a kid, I'm six four. I'm genetically kind of lucky. I'm modestly muscular, and when I was a when I was a kid, if I worked out hard, a couple hours a day, I could eat whatever I wanted to, and I mean, I took advantage of that, like you know, two pizzas, a box of muffins, a oh, box of chocolate okay. bars. Yeah. If if it wasn't nailed down, then, you know, I, I was going to get there before you. Um, and that worked out okay for me. I mean, I think that I probably had to sleep it off a little too much, but um, worked out okay for me when I was young, but not so much when I was, you know, and I could work out two hours a day, but when I was 22, 23 years old and I was married and my metabolism slowed down a little bit, it started to catch up to me. And more importantly, I felt like I was always thinking about the food and mm -hmm. I couldn't be a good doctor, you know, like I couldn't just be present with my, my patients. I thank God I fixed that over time. Um, and because I come from a family of 17 psychotherapists. Wow. Um, and my dad and my, yeah. Yeah. If something breaks in the house, we all <laughs> ask it how it feels, but nobody knows how to fix it. Um, I, I figured that this must be a real psychological problem. And I was trying to heal the hole in my heart. I figured if I could you know, heal the hole in my heart, then I wouldn't have to keep trying to fill the hole in my stomach. Right. And so I, you know, I went to all the best doctors and I went for psychotherapy, psychoanalysis. I went to Overeaters Anonymous. I went on a spiritual journey and I took medication, I, everything you could imagine. And it was a very rich journey. I became a different person over the course of that journey. I healed myself in a lot of ways, but I didn't heal my overeating. I still had a problem. Um, there were three things that flipped that paradigm, which took me from, you know, trying to love myself then, nurture my inner wounded child, to really being the alpha dog of my own eating. And the three things were, that I was consulting for the food industry. I, not only a clinical psychologist, but I had married a marketer and she traveled for business. I had a lot of time on my hands. So I developed a second career and I started consulting for really fortune 100 food companies and other kinds of companies, but mostly food. And I saw them developing these hyper palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and salt and excitotoxins that were all engineered to hit the bliss point of the reptilian brain 
without giving us the nutrition to feel satisfied. And the result of that is addiction. Like you just, you want more. There, there are actually now even some chemicals in certain packaged goods that turn off your ability to know when you're full. Um, and, you know, so every time you're looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container, some fat cat in a white suit with a mustache is laughing all the way to the back. <laughs> so I'm sorry, did you want to say something? You, you actually answered one of my questions is do, does, uh, psych, does um, psychotherapy and addiction go hand in hand? So that's, that's what was one of my questions. So I guess it, I guess it does. So it's, it's pretty fascinating how, how that kind of um, really interacts with our human psyche. You know, you never know that that's, that that can really get to you, um, not just psychologically, but I'm sure mentally as well, right? Well, there's a lot of comorbidity between food addiction and um, other, other types of addictions and other types of psychological problems. But my experience is that fixing it is not really a treatment. I don't really think there's a quote unquote treatment for addiction. I, I think that there are some very practical techniques and tools that you can implement to take control of your food impulses right. and, and defeat your cravings, which is, you know, that's the name of my book. Um, so, you know, if I just get back to the story, I, I saw, I saw that there was this external force, you know, millions and millions of dollars put into engineering these concoctions that take over our reptilian brands. Then then I saw that the advertising industry was really good at making us think that we needed these things, kind of faking us out, like using this bright multicolored, you know, packaging that in nature, if you see a variety of colors in food, that signals a diversity of, multi of micronutrients that are available. But when you see a diversity of colors on a packaging, it doesn't really signal that diversity of micronutrients, but your brain kind of does a whoa, what, you know, I thought I was going to, where are the nutrients? It's not there. I better eat more. Um, so, so I just, I saw these external forces that really had nothing to do with my personal psychology. And then I, I read some alternative addiction treatment literature, um, which is actually where I got the idea that, you know, the overcoming addiction has more to do with some very practical steps and techniques more so than um, treating your you know, inner disease or inner wounded child or healing your childhood traumas. I, I believe in healing your inner wounded child. I believe in healing your traumas. I think that's meaningful work, but I see it as separate and apart from stopping overeating or stopping other types of addictive behaviors. Um, long story short, I, I came to the conclusion after many, many years of struggling um, that, that I was going to have to be the alpha dog of my own mind that it wasn't so much about saying, oh, poor baby, you must, you know, your mama didn't love you enough or she must've dropped you in your head and her mama dropped her in her head. Uh, it, it was more about being the alpha dog of my own mind, making up my mind of exactly how I wanted to eat and then separating my thoughts into constructive thoughts that supported me to eat how I wanted to eat and destructive thoughts that would say, let's break the rules. Now, Somewhere around this time, this was, gosh, almost 20 years ago now. I, I was, um, I, I'm pushing 60, right? People say I don't look it, but I, I, I am. I'm pushing 60 next year. Okay. Um, I work hard at it. But 
but um, I, I, I lost my train of thought for one second. Okay, some, somewhere around this time, I decided to do something kind of embarrassing. I was not going to teach this stuff. I was not going to, it was not going to be part of my profession. It was just, man, I mean, I had been suffering. I'd gotten myself up to almost 300 pounds and my triglycerides were through the roof and the doctors were yelling at me about possibly getting diabetes and on and on and on. I had all kinds of problems. And I just wanted to get better myself. And so I did this thing in my head to separate my constructive and destructive thoughts. I said, let me make a clear rule. Like for example, I'll only ever have chocolate on a Saturday again and never more than two ounces. I'll never have chocolate during the week. Make, just make a really clear rule like that. And then any thought that suggests that I eat chocolate on a Wednesday or a Thursday, for example, like if I'm in a Starbucks and there's a big chocolate bar calling to me at the counter and I hear this voice in my head that says, you know, Glenn, you worked out hard enough. You're not going to gain any weight. A little won't hurt. You can start your rules again tomorrow. I would say, wait a minute. That's not me. That's my inner pig. This is embarrassing. I said, that's my inner pig. And chocolate on a weekday is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And as ridiculous as that sounds, it would wake me up at that moment of impulse and give me a few extra microseconds to get back into my right mind and make the right decision sometimes. It was the beginning of um, beginning of the end of the problem for me. There's a lot more to it, but um, yeah, that's, so that, that's my story. I kept a journal about it for eight years. I would write all the things that my pig would say and why it was wrong. For example, if your pig says, you can just start your rules again tomorrow and then you have some chocolate, what you've just done is rewarded the thought that you can just start again tomorrow, which means you're more likely to have it again tomorrow. What, what fires together, wires together. That's the principle of neuroplasticity in the brain. Um, so you've created an association between having that thought and finding a food reward. You're more likely to have it tomorrow. The only time you can eat healthy is in the present. I always use the present moment to be healthy. That would be an example of refuting the pig, showing the pig how its ideas were wrong. And I kept a journal about this for about eight years. And I, I, I worked my way through it. I worked my, my way through it. I discovered a lot of additional things that helped along the way. And about eight years after I discovered this, I turned it into a book as I was getting divorced. This is about 2015, 2016. Um, I turned it into a book. I published the book. Now, I do have a background in marketing, so I kind of knew what to do, but I had no idea that it was going to take off the way that it did. And um, wound up with over a million readers and over 2,000 clients. And um, mm -hmm. then I got a gig for Psychology Today, and I got about a million readers there. And people seem to... Uh, apparently, I'm not the only one, only one who has a pig inside of them. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you don't have to call it a pig. You can call it something different. But um, apparently, I'm not the only one. That's That's really clever. Like... That analogy reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've watched Tom and Jerry when you were a kid. Oh, a long time ago, yeah. So there's this one scene where Tom is uh, trying to make a choice whether to, uh, I guess, be kind to uh, Jerry or be mean to him. And then you see like the devil pop in one side and the angel pop in the other. And you see the devil trying to encourage Tom to be like mean and try to like, you know, mess with him and stuff. And then you see the angels like trying to, 
nudge him and be like, hey, be be kind to him, be nice to him. And and then all of a sudden you see the the devil kind of overcomes him. And so he goes and like chases him. <laughs> we, we all have a devil on our shoulder. It says, yeah, I don't know that I really invented anything and there are other people who did this kind of thing before, but I'm good at narrating it. And I kind of put it together with a lot of other factors that really make it possible for people to defeat their cravings or work it out so that the angel wins um, every time if that's what they really want. And what you mentioned neuroplasticity. What is that actually? What What's the term for that? Well, it just means that the brain is a learning mechanism. The brain, the brain is a learning machine. And part of its job is to find calories. You know, we, we evolved in an environment where calories were not nearly as plentiful as they are today. Um, I once heard Lewis Black say he thought the world was probably ending when he walked out of a Starbucks and across the street was another Starbucks. And you could say the same thing for McDonald's or Burger King or convenience stores. There, there are... Um, hundreds of thousands of calories available for not that much money today on every corner. But it wasn't like that when we were evolving. And our brains had to get very good at finding calories. So we became hyper alert for signals that might lead us to calories. Like it, it could be you see a monkey, you follow the monkey to a banana tree. And so then when you see a monkey, you start to crave bananas, right? We became hyper alert to signals. It could be that you had a particular thought about, gee, I should climb this tree, and then you found a banana, and so now you go climbing those trees. Well, it's similar. You could have a thought that says, um, you know, I'm going to start again tomorrow, and then all of a sudden you feed yourself chocolate because there's chocolate available everywhere. Right. Now your brain thinks that thinking starting again tomorrow leads to chocolate, so you're more likely to have that thought. It, it Neuroplasticity just really means that the brain is very adaptable and will learn to repeat um, thoughts, feelings, impulses, and experiences that it has, which lead to a um, lead to a reward, lead to a food reward. Do you feel that? Um, I guess us as a society evolving as humans, that we've kind of dulled away from being the hunter gatherers that we once were. You know, moving on up. Yeah, we, we all sit in front of our screens hoping that electrons will flow into our bank account. Um, you know, we're we're not we're not really involved in the um you know in the the agrarian or the the you know cultivation of you know food in a more traditional way. We barely get outside. Um we're very we're very sedentary and um yeah, we're we're society's not necessarily good for our health. I mean, we we have we have things like antibiotics and surgeries and modern medical care, but we also have everybody sitting around and slowly killing themselves with food while they agree to joke it off together, um, and a, a tremendous burden on like the human organism to live in an environment we weren't designed to to live in. I do think that. And then also like um, how we mentioned food and things like that, like. I'm not a, I don't really drink, I don't really take or drink medicine unless necessary. Mm -hmm. um, the reason being is because, um, you know, of course, if you take too much, it's harmful. It's like with food. But honestly, to me, when, when your body can, has these natural ways of healing, why take medicine, you know? 
Well, I, I'm like you, David. I try to get out of my body's way. I, I only take medicine if it's absolutely necessary. I don't take anything right now. Um, pretty much the same for vitamins also. I take a couple of supplements because I, you know, I don't need animal products. And so I need to make sure I get my B12 and things like that. But um, I'm a big believer in the body's natural ability to heal itself. And, um, you know, I've, I found that the more that I've reverted, I, I've been doing this for 20 years, so it's relatively easy for me to get all the junk out of my system. But the more that I've gotten away from, from processed foods, the more I eat, you know, whole natural foods, the, the better I feel, the less that germs affect me. You know, like I, I do get sick, but only for a day or two, usually. Um, the, the RSV virus was an exception last year, but, but um, generally speaking, I only get sick for a day or two if I get sick. And um, I, I think it has a lot to do with um, living a whole natural lifestyle. It's all about how you take care of yourself and um, really what you consume and how and also your your mental health, you know, how how strong you are and and, and capable in fighting those urges of, you know, really getting really getting involved in things that aren't good for you. Mm -hmm. okay. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how to stick to a role? And yeah, how to, how to fight those. Definitely. Yeah, sure. Was there another place that you wanted to go? Um, we, we can go with that. I mean, I I'd definitely like to learn about that and kind of go into, go into detail with that. Well, so the part that I've described so far is what I would call separation in order to fix your thinking and remove the justifications for having food. You know, your pig says just one bite, one hurt. And you say, well, one bite's a tragedy. It's never just a bite. Um, I always use the present moment to be healthy, right? That That's a type of thinking work to remove the justification that makes it okay to lay your best laid plans. Um, that That's kind of the foundation. So I tell people to start with one simple rule, um, something that doesn't set the bar too high. Like you don't want to say, I'm only going to have 500 calories a day because you're going to be starving and it's going to be hard to right. stick to that. Um, but if you have regular, reliable nutrition in some way and you want to say, um, you know, I'm not going to eat after eight o'clock at night unless I'm out to dinner with my spouse or something like that, or I'll never go back for seconds or I'll always put my fork down between bites. Um, come up with one simple rule that sets the bar low enough that you can clear it consistently. That, that's really important to start small because when you see yourself doing something consistently, you trigger your identity function and you start to think, oh, well, I'm the kind of person who just doesn't eat after eight o'clock at night. And then it becomes much easier to live with. You're not like holding on for dear life. It's just, this is the kind of person that I am. That's why I say character trumps willpower. Okay, so you start with one simple rule and then you have a vehicle for waking up when there's a thought in your head that suggests you should break it. Because now you know anything that suggests that you should break it is not you, it's your inner food demon or your, or your inner pig, right? Squealing for slop. Okay, now that you're awake, there's a procedure you can go through to ride the urge and quell it. The, the first thing is to take what Laurie Hammond calls a 7-Eleven breath. It means that you breathe out for longer than you breathe in. So you breathe in for a count of seven, you breathe out for a count of 11. In for seven, out for 11. I'm not doing it right now because it takes some time, but you, you 
want to do that because you're signaling your brain that there's no emergency now. See, if there were an emergency, if there was a hungry bear that was chasing you, you'd be running as fast as you could. But there's no emergency. So you're telling your brain, we have everything we need right now. It's okay to think and strategize and rest and digest. Um, because the urge to break your rules is partially stems from the false perception of an emergency. Once you've done that, then you can write down why your pig says you should break the rule because writing is an upper brain activity and you know overeating or binging is a lower brain activity. So why does the pig say that you should break the rule? And then what's wrong with its thinking? And I showed you how to do that before to eradicate that. That will, that procedure will fix your thinking and remove the justification for overeating. It'll make it uncomfortable for you to overeat. See, we don't like to do things that are in contrast with how we've chosen or previously committed to behave. We don't like to do that because we, we feel like we can't count on ourselves when that happens. So that's why that makes a difference. And often when you do that, you will feel calmer and frequently in and of itself, that's enough to get through the urge and you won't actually break it. However, there are a variety of reasons why fixing your thinking is sometimes not enough. There's what we call the screw it, just do it response. You get a case of the efforts, right? Who cares about my silly role? Just hand over the chocolate bar and nobody gets hurt. Um, and to, in order to address that, you, you first of all need to recognize that feelings aren't facts. It's just a feeling. Feelings aren't facts and you do have control. You don't have to act on it. Secondly, you can redirect the impulse to a healthier outlet. So let's say recently I had to give up even decaffeinated coffee. I really liked coffee and I was only drinking decaf, but my blood pressure crept up a little bit and I had to give up even decaf and switch to you know, herbal teas. And so when my pig would say, oh, come on, a little decaf won't hurt, you, you got to have something. I would say, no, your, your muscle, your, your arteries respond to caffeine the same way that muscles respond to lifting weights. You know, they're going to harden up if you do that, even just a little. And there's, there's caffeine even in decaffeinated coffee. Um, and then I would redirect that impulse and I'd say, besides, herbal mint tea with plant-based milk is just as pleasurable. And that was true. And so I, I wouldn't let the fantasy persist. I would redirect the fantasy to something more genuine. Secondly, you can pay closer attention to your nutrition. See, if you are not nutrifying yourself on a regular, reliable basis, you're, if you're putting your body through periods of feast and famine, then when you're in the famine period, if you're trying to be too strict, your brain is going to want to force you to be less discriminating with food. You know, there, there are some rules you can't make. I always joke and I say, you can't say I will never pee again because your bladder is going to tell you otherwise in, you know, six yep. to 12 hours for sure, right? Uh, my bladder more like 30 minutes at 60 years old. But what are you going to do? <laughs> um, so 
you want to, I tell people, you know, for the first four to six months, if you're struggling with urges and cravings and you keep breaking your diet and you're not really accomplishing what you what you want to accomplish, for four to six months, four to six months, what you what you want to do is forego any type of intermittent fasting or one meal a day or you know straight fasting or anything like that and just have three solid meals per day spread out reasonably well check your nutrition with one of the nutrition calculators or talk to a dietitian i'm, I'm not a nutritionist or dietitian by the way um make, make sure that you are meeting all of your all of your body's needs i'm sorry about the garbage truck outside uh-huh. and you know and, and it'll be just that much easier to um that much easier to stick to your plans because your brain won't be keeping on saying, oh my God, we need something, we're going to starve. Um, and then if you want to reintroduce intermittent fasting or something like that, down the road, you can do that. I'm going to pause for a second because I sense that I'm talking for a long time and you might have a thought or two. Oh, um, it's okay. Uh, like I was, I was going to uh, mention, I do have, uh, I do, I do also do kind of a, uh, fasting but it's only like maybe once or twice a week and then i do drink a lot of water because mm-hmm. I, I i always tell myself that if i get hungry uh drink water you know mm-hmm. water can help curb that hunger whenever you're like you know you have that mid-afternoon um urge to eat something yes you know, i used to be i used to be a habitual snacker like i would i would snack during the day because you know you're because you're sitting you're sitting all day and then your body's like, what am I going to do while I'm sitting? You know, and there's like, there's not much to do. And then your body's kind of like, you know, it turns to like something to kind of cope with it. So my coping was food and then caffeine. So I was like, I need to find something different. So I <laughs> kind of go into uh, just just drink water and, and skip the skip the habitual snacking. And um and I, I'm I'm a big cook, so I like to cook my food a lot. So I don't really mm-hmm. eat out too often. It's better. And I try yeah. to I try, I try to I try to avoid all that. I save that for uh, special occasions. And I'm not a I don't do I don't really drink or do any kind of you know recreational drugs or anything like that as well. Yeah. Well, well you know, Joel Furman talks about something called toxic hunger. Is when, when we go through periods of um, not eating or, you know, like between meals or even longer periods of not eating, our bodies start to detoxify and it can be unpleasant as the, you know, organs are releasing some of these toxins. And he, he says that the body creates, you, you can stop that reaction by eating more, but that's not necessarily good for you. So if you're drinking water instead during that period of time, you're helping your body to flesh out those toxins you don't necessarily need to eat. So yeah, people, um, a lot of the people that we work with, they carry a um, big bottle of water around with them all the time. And they remind themselves that the first defense if they have an urge is to to drink something. But David, all of these things, all of these self-care areas can help you with your urges, like getting enough sleep, um, minimizing the decisions that you have to make over the course of the day, you know, especially food decisions, but other decisions also, because willpower is the ability to make good decisions. 
And we're only, we only wake up with so much willpower every day. There are only so many good decisions you can make. And so, you know, I tell people if they struggle with overeating at night, that they should try to make their food decisions in the morning. You know, put your dinner aside in Tupperware, get it ready so you can just pop into the microwave when you, when you get home, that kind of thing. Um, some of the rules that we use, this is why rules are better than guidelines. In our culture, we're told to just eat well 90% of the time and indulge 10% of the time. But the problem with that is you don't know how to distinguish the 90% from the 10%. So you're always asking yourself, is this, the, is this part of the 10% I should indulge in? You got to make a decision every time there's a chocolate bar in front of you. Whereas if I say, I will never eat chocolate during the week again, then all of my chocolate decisions have been made all week long. It doesn't require willpower to make those decisions. Make sense? It makes it makes sense. I, I definitely um I follow that routine that you mentioned about you know prepping dinner and then having the having it ready for the next day and sometimes even the two days because I try to cook for a couple of days at a time. Um, it's always important to like you mentioned establish routine. You know, routine is so important when it comes to uh controlling what you eat, uh fighting urges, and just being able to live a healthier lifestyle. Yes, and, pe and people that get control of the urges, they usually do a bunch of food prep because that removes a lot of the decisions they have to make over the course of the week. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good to have something ready because you don't you don't want to, like you said, you don't want to have that, uh, as they say, like the fight or flight response where, you know, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. So you'll, you'll, you don't have any food in the house. So you run to the next like, restaurant nearby or you'll you'll uber eat something and chances are it probably won't be healthy you know right exactly so so you know when you combine all of this when you're really clear about what healthy healthy eating means for you when you have hard and fast rules that define your own personal bullseye if you miss the bullseye if you assess what happened, like by how much and in what direction, and what adjustments do you have to make to hit the bullseye more likely next time. Um, if you commit with perfection, but forgive yourself with dignity. So as you're aiming at the bullseye, you don't say, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, I'll do the best I can, progress, not perfection. No, that's, that's the wrong attitude when you're aiming at the bullseye. The right attitude is to commit with perfection and actually see the arrow going into the bullseye before you let go of it. When you miss, if and when you miss, that's when you let go of the perfectionism and say, well, you know, how can I fix this and what went wrong? And it's, it's kind of like when you accidentally touch a hot stove, you're supposed to feel pain for a minute, but you're not to say, oh, supposed to say, oh my God, I'm a pathetic hot stove toucher and I should put my whole hand down on it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so we call it committing with perfection and forgiving yourself with dignity. But been there, done that. I gotta love the hot stove uh, uh, situation. You know, it's always fun, but it reminds you to uh, be be mindful of your surroundings. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, so that that's what we put together, and I I. You know, put it all into a book a long time ago, which was mostly focused on the thinking work. And that's the one that got a million readers and 20,000 reviews. And um, 
but I've really updated that now to include the rest of the story how to how to turn off the screw it just do it response and I've also um I've also looked a lot more into the science of the formation of cravings as well as their extinction so we can advise people about how to um how to get through the extinction curve for for any craving and um yeah so that's um that's what I do these days so so where can where can my uh my listeners find your book to I guess uh be able to kind of learn a bit about it and if they're interested they can go ahead and purchase well if you look at defeatyourcravings.com defeatyourcravings.com when you click on the um big blue button i've got a bunch of bonuses bonuses for you to go along with the book um i've recorded I, you know we're kind of rushed in a in a session here to explain the whole process. So what I did is I recorded some full-length coaching sessions so you can see how it works in practice. And I I put together sets of rules for just about any dietary philosophy. I call them as call it a starter template. So you take it and adjust it for yourself. And um, put together some, you know, MP3s and recordings to help talk you through any craving if you're if you're struggling. It's all at defeatyourcravings.com click the big blue button and sign up for the reader bonus list. And that'll lead you to the book on Amazon also, defeatyourcravings.com. And I'll, I'll be also be adding this to our episode description so that uh, the uh, listeners of the podcast, whether audio or video, can have access to, to that. Um, well, Glenn, if you could leave us with some final words uh, to encourage those that are kind of struggling to to find themselves and to overcome that hurdle of what am I going to do when um, I need help with, uh, you know, with weight loss? What's the, what's the uh, main thing to remember when it comes to that? Paradoxically, the first thing to do is make weight loss your second priority, not your first priority. The first priority is to be able to, Define what healthy eating means for you personally, starting with one rule, and to be able to stick to that. See, when you focus on, I have to lose weight, I have to lose weight, I have to lose weight, you're actually revving your mind up into a state of semi-emergency, which paradoxically sabotages your, your weight loss in the first place. So you kind of have to jettison that diet mentality and focus on defeating your cravings instead. And this is a very simple process. Um, the fact that you have strong cravings actually means that you've got a healthier brain, not a sick one. The people who had stronger cravings 100,000 years ago would be more likely to find food, more likely to survive, right? So, so um, your cravings are a sign of a healthy mind, not a sick mind. You can start with one simple rule. And, um, you know, and, and if you set the bar lower rather than higher to start with, then you can collect evidence of success and develop a success identity. I want you to see yourself succeeding little by little. Paradoxically, when people do this, I find that most people lose the weight that they want to lose. Not quite as fast as they want to lose it, um, but usually usually they say it's the thing that works most effectively for them to stick to their plan and lose the weight that they want to lose. Um, and, and then it transforms your sense of being. It creates a sense of you know calmness and and peace with food that you didn't have before when you were so focused on the weight loss. So, um, 
paradoxically, it, it is the back door to weight loss. I, you know, the title of the book is Defeat Your Cravings. The subtitle is The Back Door to Weight Loss because when you jettison the diet mentality, paradoxically, the weight starts to come off. But um, yeah, it's all at defeatyourcravings.com. That, that is that is awesome. Thank you, thank you for sharing um, your story, your expertise, and your knowledge. Um, it has been such a wonderful conversation. Like I had a I had a wonderful time, and I learned a lot myself that I can I can use myself for going forward. And hopefully, my listeners here on the show have learned as well. So thank you so much, Glenn. Thank you, David. I look forward to um seeing when this comes out. And if you guys want, if you guys want access to this episode, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and every other major podcasting outlet out there. Um, always remember that you you can overcome any kind of um, obstacle you can in your life, and to be uh, proud of yourself no matter what you uh, what you're going through. To always remember that you can you can. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thanks, David. And thank you, Glenn, for being on. Okay, thank you. And I hope you have a good one as well. Yeah, you too.